It's good to have you here. Thank you so much, worship team. Uh, if your hands are free, let's give our worship team and our volunteers a big round of applause today. Thank them for leading us in worship this morning. Praise God. We're going through a uh, we're going through a series here at Thrive. It is called Happy Healthy Home. Everyone say Happy Healthy Home. And in this series, it's a message series talking about how we can have marriages that are happier and healthier, how we can have kids who are happier and healthier, how we can have families that are happier and healthier. Because I think deep down, every single one of us, we desire for a happy, healthy home. If you want that, and, it's a, that, and if you desire a happy, healthy home, say amen. And uh, today, we're going to be looking at something very crucial to having a happy, healthy home. I believe we're going to get a lot of it this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Let's look at that together as we get into God's word this morning. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. Help me preach this morning in this place. One, two, three, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. Verse 31 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. See, today, the message I'm here to share with you is called the man's role in a happy, healthy home. The man's role in a happy, healthy home. Next week, I'm really excited because Pastor Charlene, she's going to be here with us to share about the woman's role in a happy, healthy home. Today, I'm here to share about the man's role in a happy, healthy home. And we're just very excited to go into the series together because we believe it's going to help a lot of people. We believe it's going to help a lot of marriages, a lot of families here as we look at what it means to be a happy, healthy home. Tell a person to give them a high five and say, uh, if, 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 if the person on your, high, uh, on your right or left is a, is, a, is a girl or is a woman, I want you to say, you look radiant today. If, you, if, you, if, if the person on your right or your left is a guy or a man, I want you to say, uh, you, look, you look very masculine today. Can you do that right now? Can you just go say that to your, to, to, your, to your neighbors right now? Okay. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You guys are a crowd full of radiant women and masculine men. If you believe that, say Amen. Amen. See, today we're going to look at the man's role in a happy, healthy home. You see, we, we began the series by looking at John 10.10, 10, and it's on the screen if you don't remember. It says this. Read it with me. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sometimes when we read scripture, we gloss over it. See, read it with me one more time. One, two, three, it says, you, you read it in a big, loud voice. I'm going to take your drink of water. One, two, three, it says, the thief Amen. See, what, what is this verse saying? It's saying that this is Jesus talking. He's saying, Jesus saying, I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and life to the full. Not just, you know, ordinary life. Not just existing. Not just surviving. Not just mama hoo hoo. Not just, you know, that kind of just, just really kind of just like blah kind of life. But he made us for life to the full. If you believe that, say amen. 
life to the full. And that just not goes for you individually. That also goes for your family. Everyone say, my family. God wants your home to have life to the full. God wants your family to have life to the full. God wants your marriage to have life to the full. God wants your kids to have life to the full. And, and this is the thing, is that Jesus has a will for your life. It's that you would experience life to the full, life to the max. And, and that's why we call Thrive Church Thrive Church. It's not depression church. It's not just survive church, but it's Thrive Church because we believe that God made us for life to the full. If you believe that, say amen. But God is not the only one who has a will for your life. Satan, he's also called the enemy. He's also called the deceiver. He's called a bunch of different names. He's also called the thief. In, verses 10, in verse 10, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. See, Jesus has a will for your life. Satan also has a will for your life. Jesus has a will for your home. Satan also has a will for your home. And what is Satan's will? Whereas Jesus wills for your family to experience life to the full, Satan's will for your life is the exact opposite. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy life at home. And today I want to look at one of Satan's biggest strategies for killing, stealing, and destroying homes. And we're going to look at that right now together. And I want you to take you to Mark chapter 3, verse 27. It's right on the screen. And this is Jesus talking. And, you know, he's, he's talking to some of his critics about why he's driving out demons and all that stuff. And this is what he says in verse 27. Read it with me in a big loud voice. One, two, three, he says, In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. See, why, why is Jesus giving advice on how to rob a house? You know, is, is that his plan for you? He wants you to go and rob your neighbor's house or rob, rob someone else's house? No, see, he's talking about what it takes to destroy a home, what it takes to overcome and to kill and steal and destroy a home. And, and see, this is the thing. I was praying this past week and asking God for insight into what we're going to be sharing with you this morning. And, and the Holy Spirit led me to this verse. And I think there's a very important principle that we need to learn from this verse about your home. If you want to have a happy, healthy home, which is this, is that one of Satan's greatest strategies for killing, stealing, and destroying your home is to tie up the strong man in your home. It's to tie up the strong man in your home. See, I believe this, is that every happy, healthy home needs to have a strong man in the house. If you believe that, say amen. Is that every home, that whether it's a father or a husband, that every home needs a strong man in the house. Maybe you're in a home where you actually don't have any males in the house. Maybe it's you and your mom or you and your daughter and you're on your own. Guess what? You also, in your home, if you want your home to be happy and healthy, you need a strong man in the house as well. His name is Jesus Christ. And see, we need a strong man in the house if we want our homes to be happy and healthy because that's God's design for a happy, healthy home. And so it makes sense that when it comes to Satan and his strategy for destroying and killing and stealing the, the, the joy and life from your home is that he wants to tie up the strong man. Because if he can tie up the strong man, if he can eliminate the strong man, if he can get rid of the strong man, if he can distract the strong man, if he can somehow immobilize the strong man and get him tied down, what's going to happen? Then he can reign free over the entire home. He can start disrupting the home in any way he wants, taking possession of anything he wants because he's tied up the strong man. See, every home 
needs a strong man. And I want to tell you this. There are two reasons why a home can lack a strong man. There are two ways that the enemy will tend to tie down a strong man in the home. Just let, let me look at the first one with you right now. One reason or one cause or one way that a, a strong man gets tied down is, you can write this down, number one, when the man in the home is immature. When the man in the home is immature. See, when a man is not mature, when he is not really, uh, he's, he's maybe, you know, physically of age, but emotionally he's not of age. Psychologically he's not of age. You know, relationship-wise, EQ-wise, he's not of age. Maturity-wise, character-wise, he's not of age. What's going to happen? It's like he's been tied down. It's like immaturity holds him down from being a strong man in the house. And not only does he suffer, his whole, su- his whole house suffers. If you believe that, say amen. And see, here's the thing. Immaturity can show up in a whole, sort, a whole bunch of different ways. I believe, in fact, there are about 180 ways that a person can be immature. 180. We're not going to go through them all today. But see, here's the thing. What is the biggest source of problems in a marriage? Those of you who are married, those who are not married, let me ask you. What is the biggest source of problems in a marriage? The biggest reason why there's marital conflict. The biggest reason is immaturity. The biggest reason is that one or both of the people in that marriage are not mature. And so they get into arguments more than necessary. They lose their temper more than, ne- more than necessary. They be- make bad decisions more than necessary. And see, when the man is not mature, that is a very dangerous place to be in because the strong man is tied down and the, f- the home can't be happy and healthy the way that God wants it to be. And so, you know, that, that's the thing is you, you and I, if, if you are a guy in this place, see, guys in this place, this message is for you today is that I want you to know what it means to be a strong man in your home. And let me tell you this, is that this message is just as much for the single guys as it is for the married guys. Because if you're a single guy in this place, let me tell you this right now. If you want to get married one day, you want to have a family one day, let me tell you this. This is the time right now for you to get ready to become that strong man in the home. If you believe that, say amen. See, it's, don't wait until you are married and then you now learn what it means to be a husband. Learn what it means to be a strong man. No, you want to do that now. And in fact, some of the stories I'm going to share with you are ways that in, I had to learn the hard way to be a bit more like the man that God wanted me to be. And a lot of that happened even before marriage. It's because becoming a man of God, can, you, can, 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 can anyone testify to this fact? Is that, you know, when you are a man, it's, it's not because you're 19 years old. It, it, you know, what, what separates a man from a boy is not, oh, they turned 19, congratulations, you're a man. Or in the States, 21, congratulations, you're a man. See, what, what separates a man from a boy? Is it that they, uh, you know, they learn to drive? Does that make them a man? Does, 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 you know, what separates a man from a boy? Is it that you know, they, he had sex for the first time? No, for sure. There's lots of boys who have sex, but they're not men. You know, there, there are, is it when you get married? No, a lot, a lot of people get married to kids. They're like, you know, they're grown men, but they're kids emotionally. They're kids character-wise. Is it when they have, they, when they own, they have kids themselves? Not necessarily at all. See, see what, what makes the difference between a man and a boy? Let's look at Ephesians, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, 11, verse, verse, chapter 13, verse 11. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. See, what is 1 Corinthians 13 telling you about what separates a man from a boy? It's that you don't become a man when you become 19 years old. You could be a child and still be, and be 60 years old. You can be a child at 40 years old. See, what, what makes you a man as opposed to a boy is when you leave your childish ways. Amen. 
It's when you start to accept responsibility for your life. In fact, this is what I want to tell you today, is that maturity is when a man accepts responsibility. Maturing into a man is about accepting responsibility. And, and this is the thing, is that we're going to be talking a lot more about maturity, maturing into the person God made you to be in the next few weeks. But I just want to kind of plant that seed in you guys today about how maturity is one reason why God's home, God's family can become Satan's home and Satan's family when the strong man is tied down. Immaturity can come up in so different ways when you're irresponsible when, you know, you don't keep your promises, when you're just very moody all the time, can't control your emotions, when you lose your temper a lot, you know, when, when you're not very stable, you know, you, you, you can't really be counted on. Those are all forms of immaturity. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that this coming month. It's the first reason why a strong man can be tied down. Here's a second one you can write down. A second reason why a home can lack a strong man, number two, is when the man is ignorant, when the man in the home is ignorant of his role. When the man in the home doesn't know what he's there for, when he doesn't know his role. See, God has a specific role for the man in the home and in the family. Now, I know that we live in an age today where, you know, it's about, like, you know, it's all about, oh, you know what, men can do what women can do, women can do what men do, and here's the thing, that's not entirely true. The fact is this, you know, that God has a specific role for men to play in the home. He's also got a specific role for women to play in the home, and sometimes the reason why a strong man is tied down in the home, sometimes the reason why a home is not happy and healthy as it should be is because the man is not clear on what his role is. Have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you are on a team and people don't know what their roles are. And, you know, pe- people are just kind of like, what's my role? What am I supposed to do? Oh, what's my role? What am I supposed to do? And it's just a mess. And people end up doing the same thing. And it's a, it's a waste of time. People end up doing less than they should. Some people end up doing more than they should. It's a waste of time. It's frustrating because people don't know their roles. That's one reason why it's so important that you know your role as a man. Is that, that, is that when you know your role as a man, then not only do you know, but your wife knows her role. Your, their kids know their role. And it's a much easier way to have a happy healthy home. If you believe that, say amen. It, and when you know your role, you're then able to allow your wife to become the woman that she was made to be. There's another reason why it is so important to know the role of uh, a man in the home is this, is when a man is clear on his God-given role, when a man knows what his role is in the home, it brings focus and direction to his life. See, like, I, I know if you know this, but like, there's so many men in our city who feel like life is just this daily grind. It's just like this endless cycle of work, like family time, helping at the home, work, family time, helping the home, work, go home, watch TV, go to sleep, work, go home, watch TV, go to sleep. And it's just this endless cycle, this daily grind. And, and you might feel that way today. Is that, you know, you wake up a lot earlier, every morning almost, like earlier than you want to. You go to a job that you don't really love, and you just grind away all throughout the day, stressed out of your mind, dealing with all sorts of problems. Then you come home, and, and your wife is like, oh, finally you're home. And in your wife's mind, your day has just begun. Right? And your day has not even started yet because now it's time to help her out with this stuff and that stuff, with help with the kids, put them to bed, help make dinner, you know, take out the garbage, do all the stuff that you, know, you didn't have a chance to do during the day. And then finally, after you sp- put the kids to bed and you maybe sp- spend some time with your wife, by that time it's like you know, 11 p.m., 12 a.m., and you are just exhausted, and yet you feel like, man, life is so empty. 
man, life is just like, I don't, I don't have my, my own time. I don't have my own life to live. And, and, and what, what, can, what can happen is that you get into this cycle of this daily grind, and you forget what you're doing in the first place. You forget why you're even there. You, you think, man, like, I, 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 what, what am I doing? Well, like, is life just this, this daily grind, just doing this nonstop? And you forget your purpose in life. But see, when you know what God's role for you in the home is, it brings focus, it brings direction, it brings motivation, it brings vision, so that you can go about every single day with a purpose. If you believe that, say amen. See, it's very easy to lose your purpose. It's very easy to get distracted and forget why you're doing things, but that's why you need to be so clear on the role that God has given to you. Maybe you're here today and you've lost your focus. Maybe you, you know, you've been just so busy with things and you've lost your direction. See, that's why you have to get back into the word of God and understand, God, what is your purpose for my life? What is your role for me in this world and in my home and in my family? That's what we're going to look at today. That's, the f- that, that's another reason why it is so important to know the role of a man in the home. And see, this is the thing. This message isn't just for men in this place. The fact is, it's as much for the women. Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? Because here's the thing is that the women in this place, you may be married right now, and if you are, you know after this day, you're going to better know how to love, support, and pray for the man in your home so that he will be a strong man. If you believe that, say amen. And for those of you who are single and you're, you're women in this place, can I tell you this? We're going to look at five roles that a man has in the home. Do not marry a man who is not willing to take up these five roles because you know what's going to happen if you do? You're going to marry them, and you're going to be miserable. You and that person are going to be miserable. You're going to be butting heads all the time. You're going to be frustrated. And so I want you to watch out. Okay, I need a guy. I want a man who has those five roles. He's working on them. He's working on becoming those things. I need that kind of man. If you believe that, say amen. Let me tell you this. Single guys in this place, now is the time to be learning how to fulfill these roles. Not when you get married, even if you're in high school right now. Even if you're in high school right now and you want to have a family one day, now is the time to be learning how to fill these roles in your own home. Because let me tell you this, once you get married, it's, it's, it's not too late, but it's a lot harder. Because you're a lot busier, life is a lot more complicated, and all of your immaturities and all of your wife's immaturities are all going to be mixed together, and it's going to be a lot harder to sort things out as you're trying to figure out God's role for your life. And so that's why the time to learn it is not later, it's now. It's all person says, the time is now. Tell your neighbor, the time is now. The time is now. Let me tell you today, five roles of the husband. We looked at Ephesians 5 at the beginning of today's, uh, today's message. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to, 20, uh, to 33. This, this passage is talking about how our role as husbands, men, our role as husbands to our wives is very much like the relationship between Christ and and his church. And in Ephesians 5, we learn that Christ, he loves his church in five ways that we are called to love our wives. In Ephesians 5, we learn that there are five ways that Christ leads his church, that we are called to lead our wives and lead our children, lead our homes. Let's look at them right now. I encourage you to write these down. Five roles of a husband. Number one is this. The husband is a king, the head of the home. The husband is a king, the head of the home. Guys, doesn't that make you feel good? Yeah? Like, oh. King, yeah, King Ryan, right? King JB, King Alfredo, right? Right. Tell, tell a person else, if you're a guy in this place, tell, tell, tell your neighbor, say, you're looking at a king. You're looking at a king. You're looking at a king. You, you might not feel so much like a king. If you don't feel so much like a king, then here, here's a little tip that I've learned if you want to be a little bit more feeling royal, is take the name of your street that you live on 
and put the name prince in front of it or lord in front of it or king in front of it. So if you live on Woodward Street, you'd be Lord Woodward, okay? Doesn't that sound very royal, right? Or if, 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 you, if you live on Cordova Street, you'd be, you know, Prince Cordova. Got girls in this place too, you're part of God's royal family. And so you can put that, take the name of your street, put princess in front of it or lady in front of that. You'd be, you know, Lady Ptolemy, you know? Yeah, that, that, that's the kind of thing. If, if you live on, say, maybe number two road, then you can, you can you know, consider whether or not you want to call yourself Prince Number Two. It's really up to you. But, but th- here's the thing. The fact is this. In God's family, you are, you are a king or a queen in his family. You are a prince or a princess in his family. If you, believe, if you believe that, say amen. How do I know that? How am I just making that up? See, this is the thing. When you, when you put your, tr- your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't just become a child of God, but you become a member of God's royal family. God is a king, and the Bible says that all of his children are part of his royal family. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we are a royal priesthood. We are kings and queens or princes and princesses in, in God's family. We're also priests in his family, and we are all royalty. Tell the person to give them a high five and say, you're looking at royalty. You're looking at royalty. That's right. That's right. You're like, man, I've never seen royalty like that before. And, and, and but see, here's the thing. We are royalty in God's eyes. And, and see, here's the thing. The husband is a king. He's the head of his home. And, and here's the thing. God's plan is that the husband would be the head of the wife. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. It says this, 1, 2, 3, it says, read it with me. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. If you have your Bibles in front of you, why don't you underline those words? The head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean to be the head of the wife? Well, it means to take on the role of a leader. Just as Christ is the leader of the church, the husband is the leader of the wife. That doesn't mean that a guy or a man is more valuable than a woman. That doesn't mean that a man is more important than a woman. It, 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 it doesn't mean that. It means that they are equal in value, equal in substance, equal in importance, but different in role. God gives a special role to men and to women. Next, we're going to talk about the role of women. But today, you need to know that the husband is the head of the home. He is like a king. And here's the thing. Not only are you part of the royal family of God if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, but God gives you a commission while you live on this earth, which is like a king, to rule over, to manage well what God has given to you. Look at Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 28 with me. Read it in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves along the ground. See, the reason why God made you to be a royal family member, a a little queen, a little king, a little prince, a little princess in his kingdom, a co-heir of Christ. It says God made you to rule over his creation with him. He didn't just make you to live and have fun and be happy and have family, but actually he put you on this earth to help him rule over his creation. If you believe that, say amen. 
That's part of the rule that God has given to you. And so it's not just a title that he gives you because it sounds good. It's because there is a real responsibility behind it as children of God, men and women in this place, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God's commission for you is to rule over what God has given to you for his glory. And see, being a king in the home for the guys in this place, what does it mean to be a king in the home? Well, let me tell you, it means a couple things. One is this, being a king in your home means that you represent and lead your family. You are the family's representative. Whatever you do reflects on your family. You, everything you say, every word you do, every word you speak, every action you make is a reflection on your family. And, you know, you are there to lead your family. And they take on your name. They follow you. And so, you know, you're, if, you're, if you're married in this place, very likely, if you're getting married this year, you are going to adopt, if you're a girl in this place, you're a woman in this place, you will adopt the name of your husband, right? Usually it's not the other way around. The wife adopts the name of the husband. The kids adopt the name of the father. And see, so that's why when Charlene, Pastor Charlene, she got married to me, yours truly, about 14 years ago, you know, I didn't become Mrs. I didn't become Mr. Way. Sh- Charlene became Mrs. Lim. She went from Miss Way to Mrs. Lim. And that was an interesting transition. It was, right. And it was. It was an interesting transition. And see, here's the thing. It's because we, you, as, 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 as the member of the home who is the representative, you lead the family. And it's not just the name that they take on, but they follow you in the direction that you go. Now, you might be like, well, I don't want to lead. I'm not a leader. You might be a guy in this way. I'm not a leader. I don't like to lead. No, you, you lead. No, like, oh, and and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of husbands even to this day who are like, oh, you decide. Oh, where, where do you want to go for dinner, honey? Oh, you decide. Oh, where, 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 what, what should we do for vacation? Oh, you decide. I don't. I don't know. I don't care. You, you decide. And, and just, just very not willing to lead. Very indecisive. See, God did not make you to be super indecisive and be led wherever so that you're never leading. God made you to be a king who rules over the creation that God has given to you. If you believe that, say amen. He made you to be decisive. He made you to lead. Now, that doesn't mean that the man makes every decision. All right? Don't, guys, don't go home and go, you know what? Now I make the call on everything. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm not going to listen to you because you heard what Pastor J.B. said. The man is the head of the home. The husband is the head of the wife. And so you have to listen to me on everything. We're going to McDonald's every day from now on. See, no, no. See, this is the thing. It will be silly for a king to try to make every decision by himself. Not listen to anyone. Not listen to the queen. Not listen to the advisors. Not listen to anyone. He just kind of, he does everything himself. He, he, he washes the, 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 the camels himself. You know, he, he washes the, the castle walls himself. He does everything himself. No, it would be silly. He would die before he was able to really rule properly. But see, part of a healthy marriage is when the husband and the wife learn to divvy up responsibility. Amen. It's when they learn to delegate responsibly to one another, playing to each other's strengths. And so being a king doesn't mean that you make every decision, but it does mean this. Is that when you're the king, being a king means you take ultimate responsibility for every decision that's made in your home. You are the ultimate one responsible. Even if you didn't do it. You're the one responsible. That's the price of being the leader. That's the price of being the head. That is what it means to be the king, is that whatever happens under your leadership, under your jurisdiction, is your responsibility in the end. You might not have asked it to happen. You might not have commanded it to happen. But somehow you authorized it to happen under your jurisdiction. You allowed it to happen. And so you are responsible for it. And so that's why you notice this when you look at Genesis chapter 3. And you read about how Adam and Eve sinned. Who ate the fruit first? Who was it? It was Eve. The woman was the one who ate the fruit first against God's command. But notice this. Who 
did God hold responsible? Adam. And that's why, if you don't believe me, look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 says it this way. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through, it doesn't say one woman, through one man. Why is that? Why is it that even though Eve was the first one to eat the fruit, that Adam was the one hold, held responsible? It's because Adam was the head of the home. And he was ultimately responsible for everything that happened within his jurisdiction because he didn't stop Eve. He was there, but he didn't stop her because he didn't, he didn't, he didn't do anything to take on the role of a leader and king and head of his home. He was held responsible. And that's why Romans 5 says that sin entered the world not through a woman, but through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. But see, in the same way, in the same way, when Jesus died on the cross, this one man, because he is head over everything, this one man, he took responsibility for all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all of the ways that we have ever messed up. He put it on himself and said, pretend like I did it. I'm the one responsible. I'm the one who did those things. Did he do those things? He didn't do those things. You and I did those things. We're the ones who lied. We're the ones who cheated. We're the ones who murdered. We're the ones who committed adultery. We're the ones who fall short of God's standard. But Jesus said, okay, give it to me. I take responsibility. He died on the cross, not for his sins, but for our sins. But he said, treat it as if I did it. Because that's what a man does. He takes responsibility for his home. If you believe that, say amen. Jesus died, but praise God, Jesus also rose again so that we, as his family, could be happy and healthy. Again, if you believe that, give Jesus a big, big hand here at this place right now. Come on. Amen. Come on, if you're going to clap, give God a big clap in this place. Come on. Let's do that together right now. So since husbands, husbands here, since you and I were meant to be kings in our home, it's so important that we learn to rule over our families well, that we learn to rule over our families humbly and justly. So what does it mean to be an effective king in your home? Why don't you write this down? To be an effective king, you need to be responsible. You need to be trustworthy. You need to lead with integrity. You need to keep your word. Let me ask this question, men in this place, young men included, high school students, men in this place, young men in this place included, how well do you keep your word? They say that your word is the measure of your character. You want to know how mature you are? One measure is how well you keep your word. Do you keep your promises? When you say that you borrow something and you're going to return it, you say you're going to return it by a certain date and you don't, what does that say about your character? It's, it's talking about your word. Are you someone who leads with integrity? Are you trustworthy? Are you responsible? Do you keep your word? When you say you'll do something, can people count on you to do it? That's all talking about character. It's all talking about maturity. It's all talking about integrity. It's talking about keeping your word. Do you know what the greatest curse in the modern-day family is? You know what the greatest curse in the modern-day family is? Let me tell you what it is. The greatest curse in the modern-day family in 2017 is the irresponsible absentee father and husband. It's that guy who's married who is totally irresponsible. It's that guy who's got, it, who's got kids but totally doesn't act in their interest. Just not responsible at all. Not trustworthy at all. Doesn't keep his word. Makes promises. Doesn't keep them. Can't count on them for anything. That is the biggest reason why families are broken in our city and in our world. The number one reason is irresponsible fathers. It's the number one reason. I heard the sad story earlier this week. There was a father who was at work, and uh, he called up his, uh, his wife and his son, 
and he's like, hey, honey, can I talk to uh, my son? Can, can I talk to They said the name of the son. Son picked up, and the father said, hey, son, hey, son, uh, this Saturday, I'm going to take you biking. He's like, biking? Yeah, I'm going to take you biking. We're going to go cycling together. We're going to go outside, maybe go to Stanley Park. Yeah. He's like, really? Yeah, yeah, okay. You, you promise? Yeah, I promise. Yeah, we're going to do it together. That was Wednesday. And, uh, you know, on Wednesday afternoon, he's so excited. Thursday morning, he goes to class, and he's just telling all his friends, hey, guess what my dad's going to do on Saturday? My dad's going to take me cycling at Stanley Park. Ah, how about you guys? What's your dad going to do? Did dad, your dad ever do that for you? He just starts boasting about his dad and how dad is his, dad, his dad is so great. And then uh, that, that's Thursday. Friday, you know, the boy's at school. He's just such a young boy, and he's, he's drawing a picture. And what the picture is, it's, it's him and his dad. It's a bicycle. And he just can't wait for that day. Can't wait to, to go on Saturday with him. Friday night, he's at home, and he's tossing and turning in bed because he can't wait to go to the next morning when he can go and, and spend time with his dad. And he, just, he, he hardly gets a wink of sleep because he's so excited to spend time with his dad. Saturday morning comes. He's got, he, he's got his shorts on. He's got his, his trunks on. He's got his cycling stuff on. He's got his you know, hat and his helmet on. And he's got his bike ready. And, and, and he's, he's ready to go. You know, even before breakfast is ready, he's ready to go. And, and, and mom's like, no, just wait for him. Just wait for daddy. He's going to be here. He'll, he'll be here, I'm pretty sure. And, and, she, he, and he waits. He goes, out, he goes to have breakfast. He comes back to the bike and he waits. He, go, he goes and he goes to use the bathroom, brushes his teeth, and he waits. You know, 12 p.m. comes. Daddy's still not there. 2 p.m. comes. Daddy's still not there. 4 p.m. comes. Daddy is still not here. Finally, 8 p.m., you know, now he's sitting, you know, at his desk, and, he, and he's drawing another picture. He's like, you know, he, I don't know, he's maybe crossing out the bike now, you know. And at that point, that's when the dad comes in, and he says, hey, guys, sorry, man, work was tough today. Work was just, like, just really working overtime. It was tough. And then, and then the, mom, the, and the wife, the mom goes, oh, I'm so, oh, oh, son, oh, son, son, oh, son, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so and of course the son he loves his dad. But he's he now from that time forward it's like he's not really sure what's the difference between a broken promise and a lie. What's the difference? He's not really sure. And he's starting to be confused and he's 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 disappointed, he's hurt, but he's confused more than anything because it's like I thought you promised. And see here's the thing, men in this place, if you've been irresponsible toward your family, if you've been irresponsible toward your wife, or to your kids, if you made promises that you've broken, or you've just simply not been there when you should have been there, then you need to repent to God. You need to go, go to God, come clean before God, and say, God, I repent that I have not been a trustworthy man. I have not been a responsible man. I have not kept my word. I have not been someone that is worthy of the, 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 the kind of respect that you call for men to have. And, and you need to be, learn to be responsible. See, too many husbands, too many dads refuse to take responsibility. And, and they'll make promises they don't keep. They'll just, they just won't be around. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 4. It says it this way. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, By justice, a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. See, what is it saying? It's saying this, is that, see, when you're a husband, you're a king. When you're a father, you're a king. You're a king over your home. And when you rule and lead your home with integrity, with responsibility, with justice, you keep your word, do you know the effect that has on the home? There's stability in the home. The home is secure. The home, there's a sense of peace and stability. Like, you know, there's something safe here. There's a safe place here. 
But see, when you don't keep your word, when you're irresponsible, when you're not around, what ends up happening is that you make the home feel like we can't count on anyone except ourselves. We can't count on men. Men, men aren't worthy of our trust. Men aren't worthy of our, our respect. Men aren't worthy for us to believe in. And, and so you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to put my trust in your promises anymore. Because here's the thing, is that your family depends on you keeping your word. If you believe that, say amen. That's what it means to be a king. Be responsible. Be trustworthy. Live with integrity. Lead with integrity. And keep your word. Number two, the husband is not just a king. The husband is a protector. He's a protector. What is a protector? See, being a protector is about making your wife and your kids feel safe and secure. That's what a protector does. It makes, he makes his wife and his kids feel safe and secure. Look at Ephesians 5.23 with me together. It says this. Read it within the big Bible voice. One, two, three. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. If you have your Bible in front of you, why don't you underline those words, of which he is the Savior. See, what is a Savior? A Savior, the word Savior means someone who rescues, protects, and keeps safe. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for us, the church, he rescued us from our sins, he protected us from God's wrath, and he kept us safe in his presence. If you believe that, say amen. Jesus is the number one savior of our lives. But see, a husband is called to be a protector, in a way, a savior of his family as well. What does it mean to be an effective protector? Write this down. To be an effective protector, you need to be proactive about helping your wife and children feel safe and secure. I want you to underline those words, proactive. Everyone say proactive. What does proactive mean? It means that you don't wait for something to happen. You go ahead and you go out of your way to help make it happen. And it's about being proactive, not passive, but proactive. It's going ahead and making sure things are good before, you know, b- b- before the car arrives or before the people are there. It's about being proactive. Here's a question for the men in this place. Men in this place, husbands in this place, dads in this place, and even young guys in this place who, who live in we, with your we parents. How safe and secure do you make the women in your home feel? How, how, how safe do you make them feel when you're around? See, you know, when, when you hear a, a loud crash downstairs, everyone's sleeping, it's like, you know, 3 a.m., you hear a loud crash, and, and, and you know, maybe the alarm's going off. Do, do you go, hey, wife, go downstairs and see what's wrong. And, and, and here, t- take, take my slipper. In, in case there's anyone there, if anything happens, you, you just use a slipper and protect yourself. Is, is that what you do? Is that what you do? See, see being, being a protector is about taking the responsibility, being proactive to see that your kids and your wife are safe. And very often, it's in the little things. Can, can, can I tell you the first time I learned to be a protector of Charlene? We were dating. This is still when we were dating. And uh, I, I remember that it was a very simple thing. But I, and I can't remember who taught me this. Is that we'd be walking down the street, maybe holding hands, maybe not. I don't know how early into the, our relationship we started holding hands, but we, we were, you know, we, we started walking down the street. And whenever the cars were on this side, and be, we'd be walking this way, she'd be on my left, I would often go out of my way to go, okay, why don't you, sit in, why don't you stand on this side and w- I'll walk, and I'll be near the, the cars, right? I don't know who taught me this, but it was just one of those little ways that I was like, you know, I want to I wanna keep her far from, sa- far from danger, not far from safety, but far from danger. 
and, and you know, at first it was weird. Just like Shara was like, you know, what, what are you doing? Oh, uh, uh, do you just like holding my left hand better than my right hand? Uh, no, 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 no. It's, it's about keeping you safe. I just, I just, I just, you know, it's cars, you know. It's just, and people are like, oh, that's that's a little thing. It's a little thing. But it was my one baby step to learn to be a protector of the woman in my life. That was when we were still dating. And and as you know, growing up with my parents, I used to sleep on the left side of the bed. Do you guys have a favorite side of the bed to sleep on? Okay. How, how, how many guys? How, how many guys like sleep on the left side of the bed? Let me hear right now. Left side of the bed, people. Let, let, let me hear. Give a shout right now. Left side of the bed. Okay, you sound really sleepy right now. All right. L- right side of the bed, people. Why don't, you, why don't you give a big shout right now? Okay. Well, how many? Your bed is too small to find out if there's a right side or left side. If that's you, let me hear you right now. Okay, that's the loudest one. That's the loudest one. But see, see, here, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing is that at least on in my bed, which was a relative, was an ordinary size bed, I would sleep on the left side. I just liked the left side. I don't know why. I just always enjoyed the left side. When we got married, when and it was our first night to go to sleep in our new house, and I just remember it was about to go to sleep. We both went to the same side. We both went to the left side, and and we're like, uh. Ladies first, yeah, ladies first. And, and, and it, was, it was the thing, is that the reason why Char wanted the left side wasn't because she likes the left side, is because Char likes to sleep on the side that is furthest away from the door because she feels like she's safer that way. And so I had to learn to, in my early days as a husband, to switch sides and to sleep on the right side. And it was just weird at first, but it was a weird little way for me to learn to be a protector of my wife, to make her feel safe and secure. If you believe that, say amen. In, in, you know, how about this one? You know, getting into a cab. Whenever we get into a cab, uh, I don't know how you get into a cab, when you hail down a cab, when you call a cab, this is what we would always do after a little while, after a little while, I, I, is that, you know, I, I would, whenever we hail a cab, you're going you're gonna to notice this. If you're, like, watching us or stalking us or spying on us, you're going to find this when we get into a cab, is that I will always go in first, and I'll sit down. And then Charlene will come in second. And you'll be like, man, JB, you're such a, such, you're not, you're not a gentleman. You didn't open the door for your wife. What's wrong with you? But see, that, that's something that was done at Charlene's request. Do you know why? It's because, you know, maybe it's in Taiwan, and, and so she just didn't feel as safe going into cabs by herself. And so, and so when we would be together, she would be like, okay, well, can you go in first? So I would go in first so that the cab driver can see a macho guy, all right, okay, before they see the pretty girl. Amen? Amen? That was just a little way that I was learning to be a protector. And, you know, when, when she would come home from work, and she's working overtime, it's like 11 p.m. at night, and she'd be in a cab, you know, she would, uh, she would call me from the cab, and I would just talk to her on the phone in the cab while, she's drive- while, while the cab driver's driving so that, you know, if anything, not to say that anything would, but if anything did happen, that, you know, she was protected that she had someone there with her, at least on the phone. And nowadays, you know, when, when Charlene's out, you know, she's got, you know, something going on outside, and she comes out, she's, a bit, uh, she, she's, she's late, or she's, she's, it's, it's a late at night. Sometimes I'll just call her and say, hey, Char, are you okay? Baby, are you all right? Are you okay? And, and, and what is that? That is just me learning to be a protector. See, being a protector doesn't necessarily mean that you have a Star Wars quality, you know, force field around your house. But it, it simply means being a protector in the little things more than anything. If you believe that, say Amen. And see, it's not just about physical protection. It's not just about protecting her physically. It's even more about protecting her emotionally. It's about the way you speak to your wife. It's about the way you speak about your wife in front of other people. See, for example, you know, if, if I, I know I share a lot about Pastor Charlene here. I do, right? I, I, almost every week I'm talking about Pastor Charlene. That's how much I guess I'm in love with her. And, and, and this is the thing. Is, um, um, it, amen? Amen? Yeah. And, and, but, but see, here's the thing, is that, is that she, you know, 
whenever I share things with you guys, you know, I will always think, okay, is this something that's appropriate to share on the stage? You know, yeah, sure, it might be funny, is it entertaining, but how, how much does it honor my wife? And, and, and sometimes when I'm not really sure, I will check with Shar. I'm like, okay, is it okay if I share this? Because what am I doing? I'm learning to honor my wife by being a protector. Amen. Amen. And, and th- so it's, it's about how you talk to others about your wife. It, it includes also stuff like how you relate to other girls, men. How you relate to other girls. If you want your wife to feel safe and secure, a big part of making her feel that way is how you interact with other, guy- with other girls. You know, when, 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 when you, if you're to be honest right now, guys, in this place, single or not, if you're to be honest with you, if, if there was a song to kind of describe the way you interact with guys or girls, would it be womanizer, womanizer, your womanizer, your womanizer? You know, that, that's Britney Spears, right? Like, is, 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 that, is that it? That you're, just, you're always flirting with people, you're always, like, you know, texting people, going online, going, hey, you look so good, baby. Oh, yeah, my wife's not here right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's go out one day, yeah. Like, you want that? That, that? that makes her feel not safe and not secure. Amen. Amen. When you are, and the women in this place said, amen. Amen. Is that it's, it's about how you protect her emotions, how you make her feel safe and secure in your relationship. Let's look at, you know, another one. Proverbs 19.12. 19.12. What does it say? Read it with me. It says, a king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. See, what is it saying? See, this is talking about the effect that a man's emotions has on his environment. The effect that a man's emotions has on his environment. And I want to tell you this, is being a protector is not just about protecting your woman physically. It's not just protecting your, your woman, woman and how you speak to her or what you say about her in front of others. It's also, it's also about what kind of mood and attitude you bring into the home. Because here's the thing. Another way to protect your ha- family is how you manage and handle your emotions that you bring into the house. Maybe you've gone through a crazy tough day at work, super stressful. If you don't learn to manage your anger, you're going to take it out on the people in your home. And what's going to happen? The king's rage is like a roar of a lion. Everyone's going to run for cover, going, get out, get, 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 get. Daddy's, da- daddy's mad right now, daddy's mad. Because you know what? Your mood, your attitude, and your words have an effect on your home that, it, that, that no one else in the home has. Your words, your attitude, your mood affects the home like no one else does. So if you lose your temper easily, your wife and your kids will feel very fearful when you're around, very insecure in your presence, as if they're walking on eggshells all the time. They don't feel safe and secure. If you're depressed and moody all the time, complaining all the time, you're going to feel like there's this shadow that's cast, this dark cloud that's cast over your house. It might be sunny like it is today, but over your house is like this rain cloud over your house because of your mood. That's the effect of a king, the effect of a husband. If you, on the other hand, are full of joy, You've learned to give your problems to God. You've learned to deal with God on these things. You've learned to not let the little things phase you. And you've learned to get, come to your home. And even though, yeah, there's uncertainties at work. Yeah, there's problems at work. But I'm not going to let that affect the most important thing to me, which is me and my family, my relationships. Then you know what? What's going to happen? It's like light is shining on your home. It could be a storm outside, but it's like there is sun. There's like an open heaven above your home. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. See, here's the thing. Watch the way you handle your emotions. Watch the way you express your emotions. See, when daddy comes home, when you come home, men in this place, husbands in this place, fathers in this place, when, you're, when you come home, your family should be saying, yay, daddy's here, yay, 
praise God, thank God. Oh, thank God you're here. They should not be when daddy comes home going, no, daddy's here. Call 911. See, it's because a king's rage is like a roar of a lion. Your emotions affect the atmosphere of your home more than anyone else is, does. And so you want to be a protector of that as well. If you believe that, say amen. Is this helpful in this place? Amen. Amen. Number three, there's a third role that we're given as guys, as men, as husbands, as fathers. Number three is the husband is a provider. Everyone say a provider. Everyone say a provider. See, part of growing up and becoming a man is learning to provide for your family. Look at 1 Timothy 5, 8 with me. Read in a big, loud voice with you. 1, 2, 3, it says, If anyone does not provide for the relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Why don't you, if you have that in front of you, why don't you underline those words, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family. See, what is that? Is that if you claim to be a Christian, you claim to believe in Jesus. You claim to follow Jesus. You claim to want to be a Christ-like disciple. But you do not go out of your way to provide for your family. It's as if all of your words are empty. Because this is the thing. God made men to be providers. And you know, Ephesians 5, 29 says it this way. Read in a big, loud voice. One, two, three. It says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. See, what does Christ do? He feeds and cares for the body, his body, his bride, the church. That's you and me. He feeds and cares for us. What is that? That is the role of a provider. Everyone say a provider. And just as Christ provides for the needs of the church, so husbands are supposed to provide the needs of the wife. Fathers are supposed to provide for the needs of the kids. Now, does that mean that a husband is to be the sole provider and the sole breadwinner of the family and the, that the woman, the wife, should not work? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, if you read Proverbs 31, which is Pastor Charlene's, one of her favorite passages in the Bible. And, and Proverbs 31 is talking about a wife of noble character. She's a mom. She's an amazing wife. But she's also a businessman. She also has her own business going on. And see, here's the thing, is that, you know, d just because the dad or the husband, the father is supposed to be a provider, that doesn't mean the woman doesn't have to work or shouldn't, or, 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 or if she wants to work, doesn't mean she can't. But as much as possible, men in this place, is that we want to put ourselves in a position where, as much as possible, our wife has the option not to work so she can devote her full time to taking care of the family, if that's what you guys think is best for the family. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. How do you be a an effective provider for your home? See, to be an effective provider of your home, it's really simple. You might think this is way too simple, but let me just write it right and give it to you right now. To be an effective provider, work hard at your job and at home. Don't be lazy. You know, in, um, I in, my, in my family, I grew up in a home where so much was done for me. Um, I never had to wash dishes. I never had to do laundry. Um, I never had to take out the garbage. I, I lived in a privileged kind of environment where people did not want me to do that. I, to the point where I wanted to do those things, but they wouldn't let me. And so I was really excited when I finally moved to Toronto. And I was do, doing, doing law school there. I was, I was living on campus. And I finally got to do some things on my own. I got to do my own laundry for the first time. I remember it was kind of a, a weird experience where I, I see everyone going into the laundry room. I'm like, oh, this is a laundry machine. Oh, wow. This is a washer. This is a dryer. 
and I, I put my stuff in there, and I, I just sat on the machine and studied because I thought that's what you do. Is that, and, but everyone else was leaving and going off and doing their own thing, and they'd come back. Oh, I guess I can leave. I, I, okay, I'll leave this stuff, and I'll come back. And, and it was just this, a, weird, like, a weird process of me just learning to become independent, me learning to do things on my own. And you know what? I actually really enjoyed it because I just didn't want to feel so smothered or, or so sheltered. And so I, I did those things on my own for years, and then I got married. And for some reason, all of a sudden, as I got married, I started to slip back into when I was living as a kid in my home. And I'd be, oh, oh, Charlotte Char would say, hey, oh, the, the, the light bulb's out. Oh, oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, is, that, that is there. Yeah, that, 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 that is out. That is out, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, oh, uh, the, the garbage is like, uh, there, there's like flies now, and like, I think there's a rat there. Um, oh, oh, yeah, you're right, all right, yeah. Should, should I get a camera? Should I get a camera? And it was just no clue, just clueless about these things. For some reason, the moment I got married, it was as long as I, I, I went back into grade three kind of mode. And I was, I was kind of just very, just kind of pro, like not proactive, extremely passive. And, and it got to the point where it was kind of frustrating Charlene. And she was like, you know what, JB, we got to talk. We got to talk. But, like, I need a bit more help than this. And, you know, over time, and to this day, I'm still learning it. But over time, I learned that, you know what, if I want to be a good provider for my home, it's not just about going to work and making money and doing, wor working hard at that, but it's also do, do, as being a, the, best, the best dad, father, and helper I can be in the home as well. If you believe that, say amen. And, and so, you know, I, I started to ask a question. It was, it was how can I help? How, it was tougher. Uh, I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't hear, I couldn't say it before. Was, uh, how can I <laughs> How can, how can, how can, how can I help? How can, how can I help? Okay, and, and finally, I got, I got to say it, and I was like, hey, how can I help? And so, okay, the, the dishes need washing. Oh, okay, I'll do it. All right. How can I help? Oh, yeah, can you take the, take the garbage? Okay, good. good. And, and how can I help? Well, you, know what? you know what? Maybe just instead of these one-off things, how about every week or when it's garbage time, why don't you do that? Well, okay, yeah, sure. Sure, I'll do that. All right. Oh, how can I help? Oh, oh, you know, you know what? Like, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a time when, um, you know, we, we need to take Bradley to the school at that time. Could you do that? I'm like, hey, you know what? Count on me. Do I'll, I'll do that from now on, and I'll, I'll, I'll be in charge of that. And, and see, what, what was that? It was learning to be proactive and work hard, not just at the office, but also in the home as well. And that's why nowadays, when light bulbs go out, before Char notices, they're already replaced. Amen. 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 That's why, you know, when stuff needs to get fixed, I try to get to it before she asks about it. Because for me, that's when I, I, like, when she asks, that's like, oh, okay, that's, that's my signal. But I try to get to things before that now, because I've learned to say, how can I, how can, how can I help? Tell them, give them a high side, how can I help? How can I help? Praise God. Praise God. In fact, one of our first couples groups here at Thrive, there was somehow this consensus when, when, when the women were talking about, you know, what makes an, an attractive guy? Is it the hair? Is it the clothes? Is it, you know, the, the, the money? Is it the voice? Is it the physique? And every one of them said the same thing. They said, oh, a man who does house chores is very sexy. G girls, you're going to find as you get older, your definition of what is a sexy guy is going to change. It will. It will. Tell princess to you, get ready. How can I help? Praise God. Praise God. Here's, here's the thing. And, and see, and this is the thing. To be a good provider, it's about working hard for your family. And so guys in this place, young guys in this place, high school guys in this place, let me ask you, at home, what are you like? Do you say, how can I help? Or are you more like, hey, ma! Hey, ma! I'm hungry! 
I'm hungry. I can't get out of the seat because I'm just, I've, I've been watching four hours of TV. Over. No, no, or you, no, you, you want to do that? You, you want to you get out, out of your couch, leave the, leave the imprint of your body on the couch, go to the kitchen and go, Ma, how can I help? Amen. And don't just do it once. Do it every day because it's learning to be a provider for your family. If you believe that, then all the women said, amen, hallelujah, praise God, praise God. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5 says it this way. Read it with me in the big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, lazy mans make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. And so guys in this place, single guys in this place, can we do that? Can we ask, how can I help? Is that good? All right. Guys in high school, yeah? How can I help? Yeah? Praise God. People are nodding in this place. Awesome. Awesome. That's good. But, you know, girls, you're having a really good time. Watch out for next week. <laughs> Amen? Guys, if you feel, oh, JV is really going after us today, get ready for next week. You're going to have a lot of fun next week. Amen? All right. And that's next week. But here, let me tell you this, is that one of the big pictures that God gives over and over again in the Bible of what it means to be a protector, what it means to provider, is a shepherd. Everyone say a shepherd. Is that a shepherd protects, a shepherd provides. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk the shadow of the, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. What is that? That's providing a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What is that? That is a shepherd, and a shepherd is a provider. He's a protector. God calls men to be shepherds of their homes. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. A shepherd feeds, a shepherd corrects. A shepherd cares, a shepherd protects. He does all, he does both. Number four, the husband is a priest. The husband is a priest. What is a priest? A priest is someone who stands in the gap between God and the people he leads. That is a priest. And his goal is not to get in the way. His goal is to bring them closer to God. That is the role of a priest. And guess what? The Bible says that if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you're not just a child of God. You're not just a member of his royal family commissioned to rule with him. You are also a priest in his kingdom. You are a priest who's called to lead others to Jesus because that's what a priest does. You don't have to be a pastor to be a priest. You don't have to work in a church to be a priest. You don't have to go to a Bible school to go to be a priest. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. And guess what? Right there and then, from that day forward, guess what? You are a priest. Tell a person, you are a priest. And not just are all of us priests, but I'm here to tell you today, there's a special role for husbands and fathers in the home. If you want to be a strong man in the home, you need to be a strong priest. Everyone say, a priest. Look at, look at Ephesians 5, 25 with me. 1, 2, 3, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. How many of us know that Jesus is a priest? He is our great high priest, the book of Hebrews says. When we were separated from God because of our sin, when we had no way of reaching him, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross for us, not, to, not, not for any reason, but to bring us 
closer to God. There were two parties who were separated. He brought them two together through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And when he did that, he brought us closer to God because he was our great high priest. And see, in the same way, husbands, you and I, we are called to be priests to our wives and our kids, not just with our words, but even more with our actions. You husbands are the spiritual leader of your wife. You, Father, are the, spiritual, are the spiritual leader of your home. How can you be an effective priest, an effective spiritual leader in your home? You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't even have to have read the whole Bible yet. You won't have to have, be a pastor or work in the church. It's a few simple things. How can you be an effective priest? Let me give you a few tips for those of you who want to be a good spiritual leader in your family. To be an effective priest in your home, you want to keep on doing these things with your family. Number one is pray for your family. Pray for your family. Look, look at Job 1, 4, and 5 together. Book of Job, it's about a businessman who had all this wealth. He had a great family, had everything going for him. And then this is, what, this is what it says about Job. It says this. Read it with me. One, two, three. It says, his sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Keep on going. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Look at verse 5 right there. Early in the morning, Job would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children. What is he doing? He's praying for his children. Was Job a pastor? No. Did he work in a church? No. Job was a businessman. Job worked in the marketplace. But because he had a heart to bring his children closer to God, he would pray for them. He would sacrifice a burnt offering for them. He would say, God, please, please protect my children. Bless my children today. That's because a priest is one who prays for his people. A father, a strong man in the house, prays for the ones that he leads. If you believe that, say amen. Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for your wife? I encourage you to do that. It is as easy as talking to God. Another thing you can do is lead your family in prayer. Don't just pray for them. Pray with them. You know, see, there's your thing. For, for those of you who really want to make a difference with your life, you really want to go all out for God. You want to be a missionary. You want to be a pastor. You want to. You want to. You want. You want. You want to really your life to really take off for God's glory. You want to use your business to give God glory and to lead people to Him. You want to use your talents for God's glory and lead people to Him. You know what? Can I tell you this? Those who have big dreams, you want to use your music to lead people to Him. You want to. You want to do all those things. If if that's you, can I tell you this in this place? Let it begin in the home. Let it begin in the home. Because if you can't lead the people in your own home, what makes you think you can lead people outside of your home? Here's the thing. Leading your family in prayer. Um, you know, I found that growing up, well, I, I became a Christian at 15 years old. Grew up in church my whole life, but, you know, it was my parents' faith for the longest time. Finally, God really touched my heart, got baptized, believed in Jesus. And, and I started to grow in my relationship with God. And, and very kind of few years into it, I just... Like, I just, looking back now, I didn't know it back then, but looking back now, I just realized that my home was one of the best training grounds to become a pastor of a church. Is that, you know, we, we'd have, you know, like in, in our small group earlier this week, we're, we're sharing in our small group about, you know, what, what's your favorite memory with your parents? And, and, and one that I shared in our small group was, you know, when, when I would pray with my mom. Like, it was, like, I think it was like 18 years old or 19 years old. And, and you know, we were, home, we were home, we were a family that went to church every week. My parents met at church. We grew up in church, but but we weren't a church. We weren't a family that we would pray together that much. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we would pray together 
once in a while, in a, right before a meal, but th- not even that. Very, very, very often it's like, okay, all right, it's time to eat. Okay, everyone just prayed their own thing, and that was it. But see, we, we were a family that didn't, didn't, wasn't really that vocal about our faith, all that stuff. But I think God was just stirring something in my heart to say, you know what, you, you want to pray more with your family. You want to pray with your mom. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm just the son. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the king. I'm, I'm the prince, okay? I'm the pr- and and, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm here, and, and, you know, I remember this is one of my most favorite moments with my mom. It's like, I'm 18, 19 years old. And it was a bit awkward at first, but, you know, I, I'd be like, Mom, is there anything that I can pray for you about? And then she's, oh, you can pray about this. And, and, and I remember there was even one day when we're in the office, her office, and we're sitting down together, and, uh, and, 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 and we prayed for my mom, because she wasn't even really sure if she was saved. We prayed for her to receive Jesus. And, and in, in her, in, 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 as she's sitting in her office chair, and, 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 she's, and, and you know, she's so soft-spoken, she's like, mm, amen, amen, amen. And it was just, it was, it was the f- my, my first time, before I ever prayed for anyone else to receive Christ, I prayed for my mom. I prayed for my mom. And, and you know, when, when, I, when, I lived in, when I lived in Toronto, I remember I, I, I called my, I, I would call my sister. And, you know, like with, with parents, it can be awkward. With, with a sister, it could be even more awkward when it comes to spiritual things, right? You know, you, know, you, you hang out, you play video games together. But, you know, like when it comes to, like, deep stuff, like, you, know, you don't really touch that. But, but uh, during that time, it's like, I know God was stirring in my heart. And and I was and it was just it was kind of awkward. But I'd be like, hey, is, is there anything I can pray for you about? I'd be calling her on the phone. Is there anything I can pray for? And it's like, mm, no, no, I'm fine, no, I'm fine. And and it happened a few times. And you know, sometimes I'd be visiting Vancouver, you know, for like a Christmas break or a spring break, and I'd be in her room and we'd be talking in, in her room, like and it's pitch dark, and be like, hey, like, and we have a, a normal conversation. And all of a sudden, I'd say, hey, like, is is there anything I can pray for you about? And I'd be like, silence. And, and it was just awkward. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. And then I'd, I'd go out and go, okay, good night, okay. And I, know I, wasn't really, I was never really sure what kind of impact that had on her until many, many years later, um, about, s- what, eight years ago, she was getting married. And she said, uh, uh, she calls me Bo, because uh, it's a long story, but she calls me Bo. Um, it's, she knows my real name, but she calls me Bo. Um, and she said, he said, Bo, like, um, uh, you know, my fiance and I, we, we'd be honored if you, uh, if you officiate our wedding for us. And uh, and I, I was I was really touched by that because all this time I wasn't really sure um, what difference I was making in her life when it came to that. I thought she just thought I was this weird Christian brother of hers. And uh, and and the, when she asked me to officiate, the wed- I'd never officiated a wedding before back then. Um, it was it was the very the, the very first wedding I ever officiated was my sister's wedding, and. Um, and it was it was one of those things where it was just a touching moment. And and remember, like three three years later, she's like, "Bo, I, I'm getting baptized." And she goes to a church downtown, a really good church downtown. And and she's like, "And um, like um, like I, I s- they said that I could have one more person in the water with me to help me get baptized." And I was wondering if you could be the one to help baptize baptize me. And I was like, "Oh, seriously, I, I'd be honored. I'd be honored." And I, I w- went went to the beach, and it was unlike any baptism I've done, where it was like, "It's my sister." And you know, th- th- we prayed for her. We baptized her into the in, into the beach water, and and it was it was one of those lifetime, once in a lifetime moments that I will always have a great memory of. And it made me think, man, it's like you might think that you're trying to reach your family, and you're not really sure what you're doing. You're not sure if it makes a difference. Can I tell you this? Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And now, you know, my, my sister, she is a strong woman of God. She leads her, she takes her family to church with her husband. They, 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 they love God as well. And it is, it is an amazing thing to see. Because when you lead your family in prayer, 
you become a priest in your home and prepares you for greater things. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Here's another thing is read God's word with your family. Read God's word with your family. There's one thing that I'm, we, we've been doing with Bradley every day. Every day, you know, we'll, we'll just before breakfast, we have a little book, and we'll just read it before we do breakfast. Before he, does, before he drinks anything or eats anything, we'll just, we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll read it. It's not a rule. Okay, you cannot eat before you do but, it, but it's just, you know, we, we just, it's a habit. And we'll sit down and we'll read a game time together. And you know what? You don't need a seminary degree for that. You just need to know how to read. You need a grade two education to do that. And, 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 it, and it works. Praise God. Bradley's learned to love God. Take, take, take your family regularly to church. That's another one. Take your, church to, take your family to church regularly. That's one thing that my dad would do and was insistent on, is that we always go to church every week. And it was amazing the impact it had on my life. Praise God that my dad decided that we would be a, a family that goes to church every week because it, it set a foundation for my life that I don't know where I'd be without. And so, like, like the, the fathers and moms here, when, when you are thinking about, oh, you know, should we go to church or should we skip today? Oh, like, it's, so, it's such hard work to bring us, to get them out of bed and to change and bring them to church. Can I tell you this? The, the dividends you will reap from bringing your kids to church regularly, you, you, you will not regret it. Because you're going to find that even in their teen years and early adult years, even if they go, uh, go away from God for a while, I've seen so many of them come back. And so often it's because they had that foundation when they were younger because their parents took them to church regularly. If you believe that, say amen. So, so, so important. But this is maybe the most important one of all. Live out God's word for your family to see. Not just pray with them, pray for them, take them to church, but live out God's word for your family to see. See, like Jesus, you know, Ephesians 5 says, you know, Jesus, he, he, he cleansed his bride with the washing of the word. Jesus' words had a cleansing effect on their lives, on the lives of us, you and me. Is that He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus' words cleanse us. They make us holy. Let me tell you, and let me ask you guys in this place, when you talk to the women and kids in your home, do you cleanse them with your words? Do you make them feel beautiful and holy and radiant in God's eyes? Or do you make them feel dirty and worthless in God's eyes? We want to be people who don't just go to church, but who live church every day. If you believe that, say amen. Not just go to church, but we are the church. And we live church in our home. And, you know, in, in, our, in our small group this past week, there was, there was a, a couple... And uh, we, we, were, we were having a little exercise. We're going to kind of, we talked last week about expressing thankfulness, right? Expressing gratitude. Is, is this okay? Is this good? Yeah? Is, is it me even share this? Is it, we're expressing gratitude. And, um, and, and the kind of, you know, we were talking about this last week. Parents say you want to express gratitude often to those you love. And, and this one couple really touched by what they said. That the girl said to the guy, like the, the wife said to the husband, is, and, and the wife is a smart, smart cookie very smart cookie, very accomplished, very talented, and very hardworking, all that stuff. And, and she said to the guy, you know, um, when I was almost ready to give up on faith and on God, you never gave up. And you kept on bringing us to church. You kept on telling us to go to church. You kept on leading us in prayer. And she said, you know, I'm so thankful that you did that. I'm so thankful that because th I would not be here if it weren't for that. And I was just so touched because here's, here's the thing is that guys, guys, girls, you got to know this. Guys sometimes have this inferiority complex is that deep down, we doubt ourselves. Deep down, we question ourselves. Deep down, we sometimes might not even feel like we live up to your standard 
or that we don't feel like we're, you know, good enough. We don't know if we're, we feel like you're, you're smarter, you're better, all that stuff. They're, they're, they're deep down, I think there's that insecurity in a lot of guys. And, and when, when, when she shared that in, in our small group, I was like, you know what? It just goes to show that you don't need to be smarter than your wife to be a spiritual leader. You don't need to be more talented than your wife to be a spiritual leader. You don't need to be more accomplished than your wife to be a spiritual leader. You don't have to have a bigger business or bigger or higher income than her to be your spiritual leader. You don't need to be more charismatic than your spiritual leader than, than, than your wife to be a spiritual leader. You don't need to be more experienced even in the faith than the, than, than the, than, than the girl that you were married to to be her spiritual leader. All you need is a heart to bring her to God. Amen. All you need is a heart to bring her to God. To say no matter what, I'm going to bring you to God. No matter what, I'm going to take you to church. No matter what, we're going to pray together. Because when you do that, when you do that, you become a priest in your home. You just need a heart to bring your family closer to God. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Last one. You guys have been great. Has this been helpful for you this morning? Has this been good for you this morning? Let me give you one last rule of a husband and a strong man in the home. Number five, the husband is a gentleman. The husband is a gentleman. See, what is a gentleman? Being a gentleman is about treating the people around you with honor, respect, and dignity. It's not like being this super macho guy who, who, who like, you know, who lifts weights and, 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 and just, like, just like dresses in a really, you know, kind of masculine way. And, and you just kind of force your way on people. You force your way on women. You force your way and go, hey, hey, you come. You come here right now. It, it just, just, just very, just, just very, just like, you know, just trying to force your way upon people. But it is, see, see it, it is being a gentleman. It is, see, that's what Jesus did for us. When we were still sinners, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He gave himself up to show us that we have worth in his sight, that we have honor in his sight, that he gives us worth and honor so we don't have to be ashamed. Look at Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 together. One, two, three, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 27, and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. See, being a gentleman is about treating the girl, the woman in your life with honor. It's, it's saying, I, I esteem you, I value you, I treasure you, and so I'm going to treat you accordingly. I'm going to treat you like you are worth a whole lot to me. I'm going to treat you like you are priceless to me. That's what Jesus did for us. And that practically means, being a gentleman, it's about serving your wife in a way that makes her feel special. Men, do you do that? Are you a gentleman in your home? Guys, young guys in this place, are you guys gentlemen in your homes? Do you treat the woman in your home with honor and respect? Do you treat the other guys, your siblings, with honor and respect? Do you do that? Like when, 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 when a girl is going into a building, and uh, you, you know, do you, and, and she's going for, going head first. Do you do you kind of just let her open the door? Or do you do you run and you open the door for her, and say so you, you go first, you go first? Or like when, when you see a girl coming into the doors of Thrive Church and she's carrying heavy stuff, maybe she's carrying a car seat, maybe she's carrying a baby carriage, maybe she's carrying some food and refreshments for today. Do you, do you just go, oh, that's nice. Thanks for getting those food, getting us food. Or do you run and you go, hey, let me carry that for you. Let, let me do that for you. That's being a gentleman. Everyone say a gentleman. 
or like, you know, when, when your wife is tired from washing dishes and she's like, you know, her hands are all chopped up and uh, because of the, the dishwashing detergent. And uh, do, do you go up and go, hey, hey like, baby, like, why don't you go rest? Let, let me finish the rest. Let me finish the rest. That's being a gentleman. Everyone say a gentleman. When, when you speak to your wife, do you speak to her harshly or do you speak to her gently? Are you a gentleman? See, being gentle is not about being weak. It's not about being like effeminate or like nyang, you know, like, like it, it's gentleness is about meek, it's about meekness and meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It's being strong, but only using as much strength as is necessary to get to where you need to go. And when it's necessary, you use a lot of strength, you use a lot of strength. When, it's, when you can do this with a little bit of strength, you do it with a little bit of strength. You do it gently. You, need, you and I, men of God in this place, we're called to be gentlemen. Um, one, one recent way that I, I'm learning to be a gentleman for Shar is, you know, like when, when Shar wants to soak her feet uh, at work. Uh, at, not at work, but at home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, Pastor Shar. Uh, hey, hey, hi, hi, hi. Is it okay with Shar? It's okay. Is that when she wants to soak her feet, the, you know, the bucket is kind of heavy, right? And so she'll, she'll fill up the water herself. And then, and I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll help her carry that bucket. There's a reason why your pastor lifts weights. It's not because I want to look good. It's, it's really for this one purpose, is that I, I can carry the bucket of water to the, to, to, the, to the in front of the bed. We've got a TV in front of the bed where she, she can just sit on the bed and watch TV while she soaks her feet. And that, that's just a little way that I'm learning to be a gentleman. Being a real man, I hope you can see, is not the one extreme of being, you know, very, you know, effeminate, indecisive, passive, and just like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to decide. I don't know what to do. It's also not this, hey, come here. But it is, it is being gentle in your strength. Amen. See, it's, it's, it's you know, one pastor says it this way, is that Jesus is velvet and steel. He's as soft as velvet. He's as strong as steel. You know, there's another pastor who says, Christ-likeness and manliness are the same thing. Is that, you know who the perfect man is? It's Jesus. You want to become more of a man? You want to grow up in maturity? You want to become a man? Become like Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect man. Amen. The real man is a man who's like Jesus Christ who is a protector, he's a provider, he's a shepherd, he's, he's a priest, he's a gentleman, he's a king. Because that's what God calls you and me to be. Earlier I said that every happy, healthy home needs a strong man. Maybe in your case, maybe you're a woman in this place and the strong man left a long time ago. Maybe the strong man divorced you a long time ago. Maybe the strong man abandoned you a long time ago. Can I tell you this? Is that that man... Though he may be gone, there is a strong man who never leaves you and forsakes you. His name is Jesus Christ. He is always with you. And he is here to protect you, to provide for you. He's here to lead you as your king. He's here to shepherd you as your shepherd. He's here to care for you as your provider. He's here to counsel you and protect you as your protector. He's here to be gentle with you like a gentleman. And he's here because he's your priest, your great high priest. Come on, give Jesus a big shout in this place right now. Come on. And so you might feel like that strong man is gone, but let me tell you this, a stronger man is here. His name is Jesus. 
His name is Jesus. And if the men in this place, the men in our homes, the husbands, the fathers in this place, if we would learn to be like Jesus, we will become like real men. And we will be kings, shepherds, providers, protectors, priests, gentlemen to all of the people in our home so that our homes can truly be happy and truly be healthy. Because a happy, healthy home is worth fighting for. If you believe that, stand up from your feet and give God a big hand in this place today. Come on.